Welcome to Pocketry Presents, the podcast for emerging and aspiring poets. I'm Indrani Pereira, the founder of Pocketry, the home of unheard voices. I'm coming to you from the lands and waterways of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I acknowledge the elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge that this is stolen land and that sovereignty has never been ceded. In this episode of Pocketry Presents, I'm interviewing an established poet about their experience in performing their poetry. Joining me again on Pocketry Presents from Wurundjeri country is Tabani Chuma. Tabani Chuma is a Zimbabwean writer and performance poet. His work can be found in publications such as Dichotomy Magazine and Next in Colour. He is a co-curator of Thin Ren Lines, a 2019 Hot Desk Fellowship recipient with the Wheeler Centre, a featured author with Jed Press, Slamalama Ding Dong's 2019 Grand Slam champion. He was ranked among the top 50 slam poets worldwide at IWPS 2019 and he was a winner of all major awards at the 2019 Melbourne Spoken Word Prize. Writing is the aperture through which he views the world and experiences self in relation to others. Welcome to Barney, and I'm so glad you could join me again today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, wow. You've won so many incredible awards for your poetry and performed both here and <laughs> overseas. I'm so keen to learn more about your spoken word journey and what it's like to perform, and I'd like to start by asking if you can remember where your first open mic was or the first place you performed your poetry in front of an audience? Uh, so my first open mic was at Afro Hub, which went on to be my first feature as well. <laughs> so Afro Hub doesn't exist anymore, but it used to be this beautiful space where, you know, African and Black art was celebrated and we just get together and vibe and share poetry and music. Um, and it was absolutely such a beautiful space. That sounds amazing. And how did it feel to get up in front of everybody that first time? I was terrified. <laughs> and I think I'm still terrified every time I get on stage. But now I understand the terror a little more and I can use it as part of the performance. I think. It's it's always nerve-wracking to share for the first time. And, you know, my comfort with sharing kind of just comes with practice. <laughs> I, I've gotten better at performing because I've done a lot of performing. <laughs> and I've been to a lot of open mics and I've shared a lot of my poetry to the point where I'm quite comfortable on stage. But at the same time, you know, there's, on the one hand, there's the fear but on the other, there's the excitement and kind of like the empowering nature of it. It's like, because when you have those five minutes on stage, it's like, it's your time. You can do whatever you want with it. And people are there to receive your work. And, you know, in spaces like Afrohub that are so full of compassion and so full of care, there's a trust between the performer and the audience. And you feel that sense of safety and you feel held by the crowd. So that, that helps to abate the fear. And it's just a beautiful thing to experience. You know, I think it's one of the reasons that I love performing so much is that feeling of connection with the audience and being held by them. It sounds like it was a wonderful space to perform your first poem. And I wondered, do you remember what that poem was that you recited? I do. <laughs> it was a bad poem. <laughs> I think it's bad. I don't know. It was a very cheesy poem. It was a lot about identity and a feeling of disconnect 
But why I say it's a bad poem, because like I still I still talk about those same ideas now, but I do it in a more nuanced and a more creative way. I what I find bad in quotation marks about that poem was that it was just kind of very basic and didn't really explore the idea to the level that I do now or try to do now. It was kind of just, oh yeah, this is how I feel, which I feel can be an almost dangerous space in like the performance sphere because it's that idea of like trauma porn. And it's like, let me just tell you the worst thing that's ever happened to me with no kind of resolution of narrative, no like, I no turnaround, no what can we do going forward, no what's changed, nothing that can inform the audience that relates to the experience, like what they can do um, or how you kind of overcame that struggle. It's just kind of dumping your experience onto them. So I feel like that piece was one of those that was just like diary dump, <laughs> just like straight, this is what I'm feeling. Um, which while that's a cathartic thing to write and it's necessary, I feel like performers should be, like as performers and artists, we have a duty of care to our audience and we should kind of approach these heavy subjects with kind of that level of critical analysis and that level of nuance. But I still, yeah, I still love the piece. Like it's, <laughs> it's true to me and it's very authentic. And I don't think, I don't think I've performed it since. I think that was the, the one and only time I've ever performed it was at that first open mic. But the convenience liked it enough to give me a feature. <laughs> so that was beautiful because it was literally after that first open mic, I got my first feature and I was like, what's a feature? <laughs> so that was beautiful. And just affirming of kind of, you know, the validity of the art form and, you know, the ability to share and that there is space to share it. Because I feel like I had lived in Melbourne for maybe two or three years before I went to any open mic. And it was only after actually going that I like I, I had an awareness that there was, you know, a spoken word scene, but I'd never been to any and there's always that like hesitation and that nerves like oh what's it going to be like will it will I fit in <laughs> will I be accepted so to get to get a feature from my first open mic was just so affirming and they're like this is you're in the right place this is where you're supposed to be <laughs> this is welcome home you know <laughs> so that was a very beautiful experience that I hold deeply that's a wonderful start to your spoken word career. And that first poem, even though you're telling us it's bad, must have been pretty special to you to get a feature. <laughs> and I'm wondering how long you've been writing poetry at that point and how you managed to fill up your feature slot. So I've been writing since I was in primary school. So most, most of my life I've been writing. So I definitely already had stuff to share. It wasn't a cohesive show. I feel like now, if I do a feature, it's, it's a curated show. You know, I'm selecting pieces that have a thematic link and have an overarching narrative or a journey that I want to take the audience on. But then it was just kind of a greatest hits <laughs> at the time. So I, I started, because I never really had like a formal training in poetry. So I, I wrote songs when I was in primary school. And I, I wouldn't say they're songs now. I would say it was lyric poetry. <laughs> because now I have a greater understanding of kind of formal schools of poetry. And I did a lot of 
you know, copying out of poems that I really love. And that, like, I didn't realize it at the time, but that was teaching me, you know, kind of poetic tools. So even now, a lot of the poetry I write will kind of employ formal tools intuitively that I don't, like, I, I wouldn't be able to call it out and be like, oh, yeah, there's, I'm using these couplets. Oh, you know, there's the anapest. I wouldn't know the things, but like I, I use them. And that's just from copying out poets that I love and like mimicking their work. I, I learned to love language and love the things that you could do with language. So yeah, I've been writing whew, as long as I can remember. But there were like large gaps of like no writing. So I'd go like two or three years and just not write anything and then come back to it and leave it and come back to it. Uh, so I would say since that open mic has been probably my most consistent period of connection with poetry and constant writing. So that was like, what, 2018, 2017, 2018, around there. So since there for like the three, three or four years since then, just been inundated in poetry and learning so much and <laughs> growing so much, which is beautiful. You just alluded to how you craft a set now compared to then. And I'm also mm. um, wondering how has your performing style changed in that time as well? It's definitely become a lot more theatrical. <laughs> like that first, that my first set, I uh, was literally just reciting poems. There was no real consideration to kind of stage presence or theatricality, which I do a lot of now and a lot of my pieces, you know, are foundationally built around that. So it's interesting because those, those initial pieces were written, they weren't written with performance in mind, you know, I never had that idea of like, oh, I'm going to perform this piece. So it was just a bunch of poems that I'd written, uh, mostly page poems, really. Whereas now when I'm writing a piece, it'll have that consideration of, okay, this is going to be a stage piece and that requires different things of it and it requires me to do different things with it. So it's now, yeah, it's definitely now more theatrical, more experimental. I don't know. I, I'm a lover of performing arts and theater and film. So it's, it's lovely because each poem gets to be a little script that I've written for myself and I get to deliver the scene <laughs> of the poem which I always just have so much fun doing. I like your idea of a poem as a mini play. And I'm wondering the theatrics that you add to your performance now, are they things that you have just picked up? Have you done classes? Like how has that developed? So in high school, I did a lot of public speaking. So I did things like debate and Toastmasters and Model UN. So that gave me a sense of comfort with kind of like speaking in front of an audience and speaking in front of a crowd. But like I said, I've always loved like theater. Uh, never actually done any. Uh, I think I was in one play once, <laughs> did a variety show once, <laughs> but I haven't done much. I haven't had much theater experience. So I find spoken word and kind of performance poetry to be a nice space to play with that art form and kind of employ the things that I've seen and be like, oh, I want to try that. I want to do that. But I don't necessarily have any other place to do it. And I feel like with art, there's so many 
overlaps in kind of the techniques that you use and the skills that you pick up. That's just fun to kind of blend them all together and see what comes up and, you know, experiment with the merging of the different art forms. And when you're experimenting, are you doing that on the fly in front of an audience or do you rehearse beforehand? I tried both. (laughs) There was a time that literally the performance on stage would be the first time that I performed the piece. Like I would learn the lines (laughs) and then allow for the performance to be more organic. But now I kind of practice, I don't know, practicing comes more in learning the piece for me so that's just repeating the lines to myself I will like record myself reading the piece out loud and then just keep playing it back keep playing it back and a lot of yeah a lot of the stuff just comes naturally on stage but a lot of the ideas will come while I'm learning the piece and kind of like rehearsing it to to memorize the piece. And is that your main tool for remembering is to have that recording that you're playing back to yourself so you're just hearing it again and again and again? Yeah, that's been, for me, the most effective way to learn a piece is just like repetition, repetition, repetition. I also find like rhyme really helps me because it's just easier to predict what the next line will be. Because I remember... (laughs) My first feature, there was a piece that I tried to memorize and completely blanked like halfway through. Um, but luckily I had, like I had written them all down. Um, so I had the paper and I could just be like, oh, actually one second. And the crowd being a poetry crowd was always so loving and like they do the clicks <laughs> and they hold space for mistakes, which I think is such a beautiful thing in the poetry scene. But then my first competition, the so that was the Melbourne Spoken Word Prize in 2018. I forgot my lines there. And what I did instead was just improvised. And I just like made up some lines on the spot until I remembered what fit into the poem and like what came next into the last stanza. And that's where I kind of learned that the audience doesn't know you've made a mistake until you show them that you've made a mistake, <laughs> which has been great because there's been so many times where I've completely spaced on my lines. And as long as I act like I haven't, like nobody notices because nobody knows the poem besides me. There was a time I did this gig for the Melbourne Writers Festival and forgot my lines. And I just copy-pasted a stanza from another poem that I remembered that like followed the same thematic link. I was like, I don't know what comes next, but I remember this final stanza from this other poem, so I'm just going to say that instead. And nobody noticed, except for one person who'd heard both pieces and was like, aren't those? They came up to me after and they were like, my good friend Jamali came up and he was like, weren't those two different pieces? And I was like, yep, you're only only a true, <laughs> only a true day one would know that. But I think it's it's beautiful. It's one of the things I love about performing is that it's a level of empowerment. It's like you you control the stage in that moment. It's like you any mistakes that you make can be part of the performance if you just 
allow it to be and you don't kind of let it completely throw you off. It can be very organic if you just <laughs> go with the flow and not be too concerned with how it turns out. I find that a hard idea to get my head around because writing a poem, you spend so much time crafting the words and finding exactly the right way to say something. And then, you know, you get Mm. up on stage and you forget those perfect words that encapsulate everything you wanted to express, you know. So part of me is going, oh, my God, but you forget those amazing words and you just replace them with other words. But you see, and that's, it's one of the, the gripes I have with performance poetry is that the audience don't really, they can't take in the poem to its full effect. And that's why I, I lean a lot on, you know, things like theatricality and stage presence and make it a more visual show. Because I find my, if I, if I was to compare my page pieces with my stage pieces, the, sta- the page pieces have a greater concentration in that craft of writing and in that, you know, depth of meaning and choosing the right word because when someone's reading that that's all they have but then when I'm on stage there's so many other elements that I can use and there's so many other ways that I'm engaging with the audience that the writing kind of becomes almost almost secondary like it's still very important but I I've always found that like when I'm performing on stage the writing is less important than the performing but I love them both so it, it kind of works out for me because I, you know, I've, I'm learning to balance the two and not over, not overbear the audience with like really good writing or not get completely sidetracked and just give like a performance art piece. That's an interesting distinction. And I like how you're talking about there's the page poetry, which has all of that beautiful language because people can spend the time to take it all in and you could just read a line a day if you wanted to with a poem, for example, mm. um, and really draw that into yourself. And then in a performance, yourself and your presence and your theatricality, they become words as well. I like that idea that they are speaking for you along with the words. And I, I even ended up kind of writing a poem about it because there was a time I was frustrated because the writing is a lot of work. <laughs> and I was putting a lot of work into the actual writing of these poems. And when I would do a performance, the only feedback I would get was like, oh, your voice is so good. Oh, you sound so good. You look so good on stage. Like you, you gave such a good performance. And I was like, yeah, but what about the, did you hear the line? <laughs> and that's, yeah, I think that was my point of realization that it's got to be, a balancing act between what I give as a performer and what I give with writing. And there's different, there's different ways to engage the audience. And I find, yeah, with, with my performed piece, there's, there's always lines that are going to be dropped off. It's like even, it's even gotten into the craft of writing stage pieces. It's like, if, if there's a really good line, I know I can't follow that with another really good line because that'll be lost. It's like the audience doesn't have the time to linger on like a really good line. It's like, if I have a really good line, I'm going to have to put like two lines of fluff (laughs) and then another really good line and give them that space to kind of like soak it in. So yeah, definitely. It's definitely affected the way that I craft pieces for stage. 
That's really interesting. That's a little bit like laughter, how you're not supposed to speak through laughter. Mm, exactly. And I never thought about that before, but it is true when you're listening to a poem, if there's too many good ideas, it's, it's just overload. Especially in the slam context where it's like these poems are against the time limit. <laughs> so they're coming at you really fast. And in a slam, there's many contestants. So there's a lot of poetry coming at the audience like that's a lot to take in and I feel like to be a good Roma you have to be aware of that and lose that attachment to <laughs> kill, kill the darlings as they say. Yes that beautiful saying that all poets know and love. I'm wondering when you perform or rather before you perform we talked a little bit about how you memorise and how you learn and uh, rehearse before you go on stage. Do you actually share the poetry with anyone before you perform it? Usually I'll share it at an open mic. Like if I, if I had a poem that I'd never read before and I was going to do it in a feature set that's upcoming, I would probably try it out at an open mic first and that would kind of be my part of the editing process. So it's like, while I'm still writing the piece and still like figuring out what it wants to look like in its final form, I'll, I'll test it out <laughs> at an open mic and see, see how it feels, see how it sounds, see how people respond to it or don't respond to it. Yeah, that's usually my, my testing ground are open mics. <laughs> With that testing that you're doing, I'm wondering how the feedback from the audience affects your editing of the poem? Uh, it's changed over time. <laughs> there was a time that I was writing for audiences and I really I wanted that positive reaction. But I think now I care a lot less <laughs> what the audience thinks or feels. or Like, like I do care, I care, but <laughs> I care less. And I feel like everyone's entitled to their own perspective and reaction and response to a piece rather than trying to dictate how people respond um, more in the space of allowing them to respond whatever in whatever way is necessary for them and I think it's it's been it's a good way to see for me um, that idea of like overloading the audience um, is open mics a good testing ground for that because I can see okay which lines which lines are they missing which lines are hitting um, and then I can do some rearranging and be like okay maybe if I add another couple lines in here between these two there's a little more space for that um, so that and that also that almost involves the audience in the in the writing process because they, they become a canvas that I'm working off and like I'm bouncing this and I'm, I'm editing it according to what they're feeling and how the piece kind of flows through them or doesn't flow through them, um, which I think is one of the beauties of, you know, communities of performance is we get to connect in that way. And I feel like there's an intimacy to that and there's a connection to that that you can't really find anywhere else you have so many good ideas it's great talking to <laughs> you and I really like that collaboration with the audience and 
that you know, mm. taking the poet out of their garret on their own, starving and having them in, in a community that's supportive with an audience that is welcoming and you're working together and making art. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. With those poems that you're taking to the open mic, oh, I'm not sure actually if I'm, I'm wanting to ask this question about poems for the open mic or poems for features, so whichever way you want to answer it. But I'm wondering when you perform okay. poems, do you perform poems that are new or are you performing ones that you've had for a while? At open mics, it's usually new ones. At features, it's usually older ones. And that's, that kind of ties into that idea of curating a feature set and curating a performance. So usually I'll pick pieces that are relatively thematically or narratively linked, just so that there's a level of cohesion throughout the set. But then other times I'll just do a bunch of poems that I really love. <laughs> so it kind of depends on where I'm featuring. Uh, I think that's, that's the biggest like determiner of what the set will look like. I consider what kind of space is it and like who are the people in the space and what what would they need to hear? What would they want to hear? What would resonate with this particular audience or not? Because I think for me, like one of the main reasons that I do share poetry is for that connection and that resonance and that ability to bring us together in shared experience and shared kind of, you know, emotive ideas and feelings. So depending on what the space is and who goes to that space, I think that that determines what kind of set it will become. Um, and that's sometimes new pieces, sometimes old pieces, sometimes a mix of both. That sense of knowing what the audience needs or what to bring to an audience, is that something that you've developed over time so you can kind of read that better now than maybe when you started out? Definitely. And I think it's partly performing to different audiences and seeing the different responses, getting the different kinds of feedback. It's like the more, the more I've done it, the better an understanding I've had of what the different spaces look like and what they're, what they're there for. Because uh, even in curating Thin Red Lines, that kind of opened my perspective to the whole other side of the arts world. It's like not being the artist, but being the curator. It's like looking at the venue and making sure all the logistical stuff is taken care of. So I like to go into features with with that in mind and being like, why why are we here? What what is this gig for? You know? Um what's what is it about? What's what's the history behind it? Why why was it started? Like why what is the space that we're walking into? And I think with a better understanding of the space that I'm in, I can bring pieces that better complement that space and are safe for that space, you know, safe for the audience, safe for me to share in those spaces. So yeah, it kind of ties back to that duty of care of the artist, like acknowledging where we are and what we're doing. When you're talking about space, I get the sense that you're talking both about the physical space but also the emotional space. Is that right? Yeah. 
And with duty of care, you were talking about that earlier and how as a poet there's that duty of care we have to the audience when we're bringing topics that I guess may trigger things for the audience. And you were talking about your first bad, in inverted commas, poem that you performed and how Mm -hmm. it was a bit of a dump and that you wouldn't do that now. So when you're bringing those types of pieces now, are you consciously aware of not leaving the poems at such an abrupt ending, but maybe bringing in some hope? Or how do you sort of walk that line of duty of care? I think definitely that idea, not necessarily hope, because I feel like, you know, a lot of the times hope isn't the reality. So it's it's a truth. (laughs) Uh, As long as I'm bringing a rounding truth to the end of the narrative. And a lot of the time, it's necessary for me to have distance from the emotion or the experience so that I'm not like re-traumatizing myself <laughs> and not like reliving the experience. And I guess it's, it's about looking at it critically and within the greater context and how, how that relates, how that intersects, how not, you know, how there's a, a different side to every story and stories don't exist in vacuums. You know, there's contextual ideas around them. So I think it's urging that that necessity to look a little deeper than just the surface of the story. Look at the spaces where I can be accountable. Look at the spaces where I can change or grow or heal or learn. I think it's for me it's about approaching pieces with more openness to to exploring what the piece is about rather than just taking what it is and leaving it leaving that there which is where I think features can do a lot more good. And that's kind of the reason that we started Thin Red Lines was to allow poets to share a greater body of work because you can have that one piece that kind of dumps it and then you can have another piece that complements it and kind of rounds it out. And, you know, hearing the one piece on its own isn't enough to kind of get the full depth and breadth of what it is we're talking about. And that's where, like, with a feature, you can have maybe four or five pieces that are speaking to each other and in conversation and creating a greater discourse than, like, the one piece can do by itself, which is, like, the limit of an open mic. It's like you only have that three to five minute slot and you only get to do this one piece. When you're featuring poets for Thin Red Lines, what are you looking for in a feature set or poet? Uh, A lot of the times it's artists that we love. (laughs) people whose work that we've just like been absolutely blown away by but also it's it's a willingness to experiment and it's a willingness to kind of not limit the the ideas of what poetry is or what it can be I feel like we look for people who are willing to try new things throw in some music throw in some theatricality cover some content that nobody's really talking about do like sci-fi poetry or like speculative poetry is like branch away from the norm. So always looking for people that are just looking to have a play with it and really push the boundaries on the art form. I think that's so important. And there's so many really great artists, but also to give space to, you know, people that aren't getting the gigs because it's so hard to get gigs and get publications and get like yourself out there. Um, So we also look for people that aren't getting the attention that they so rightly deserve because their work is so incredible but nobody gets to see it. So it's like we wanted to create a way for people to see a little more of them, hear a little more of them. 
that seems to be how the best things start, I think, when you're like, I want to see more of these people and no one's putting them on, so mm. I'll just start this thing so I can so I'll do it, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there is. There's 100% that deep level of indulgence where we'll see someone at open mic and be like, I love your work, I want more of it, come feature. <laughs> And how do you get featured? Is there a, a process? And I'm not just asking about for the event you curate, but sort of in general, how does that whole system work of getting featured at an event? So you're a poet who's, you know, been going to open mics for a little while and you're putting your best stuff out there and you're trying and you're playing and doing all the things. So how do you, you know, get your feature set? It's it's pretty difficult, as I understand it. And, and I guess, like, my, my personal experience has been not necessarily the traditional one that like everybody could well like I, I got lucky <laughs> I lucked out and happened to happen to go to the right gig at the right time and get a feature um, and I think it's a lot about getting out there and putting yourself out there is a lot of the a lot of the features that I've gotten have been through going to other gigs and reading at other gigs and conveners will be at these gigs and they'll be like oh I actually run a gig every other Wednesday, why don't you come on by? But that's, that's also difficult because you kind of, it's, it's like entering the job market, you know, you have to be out there to get there. But how do you get there without being there? Um, so it's very difficult to get features. I feel like that's where things like slam are really good. Slams and competitions work really well because they have larger audiences and they give space for new artists to kind of be showcased. So literally most of my features came from doing competitions and that kind of put my name out there. And then people would be like, oh yeah, I want to feature you. But I know conveners hate being asked <laughs> to feature people. And I know people pester conveners. <laughs> so so as, a, as a convener myself, I must disclaim that don't, <laughs> Don't go to conveners and be like, feature me, feature me, feature me. <laughs> I think just go go to enough open mics and go to different gigs and get to get to know the community. Because I think that that's the the benefit of kind of the spoken word scene, especially here in Nam. It's like it's it's very small and very connected. And go to enough of the gigs, you get to know the people, you get to know who's running the gigs, you build relationships with these people and then they feature you because they know who you are, they've heard your work and they love your work and they want to showcase that and they want to share it. I feel like it's a very supportive community once, you know, once you allow yourself to become part of the community and get to get to know the people and get to connect with the community. I would agree with that. The poetry community here in um, is fabulous, incredibly welcoming and supportive for people at any stage of poetry, which really helps, I think, when you're getting up there for the first time behind that microphone and you're completely terrified, it's really good to know mm. that the audience there is, you know, they're barracking for you for sure, which leads me to the next question of butterflies and if you get nervous <laughs> and what you do about that, if you do anything. Like I said, I still get nervous all the time. And I don't think it's something that ever really goes away. I think it's something that you just learn to live with. <laughs> so for me, it's a lot about the breath <laughs> and finding my center. And I feel like if I 
if I go into a performance with that grounding of the breath, I could kind of climb to the emotional space that I need to be for the performance. But I think the best the best way to get comfortable is through practice. I'm only good on stage because I've done a lot of performances on stage and each one helps me to feel a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more comfortable. And I don't think there's ever uh, an end point to that. It's, you just kind of learn how to be more comfortable, how to be more trusting in yourself, more trusting in the audience, more trusting in the space. It's, it's a thing that you can only do by doing, but definitely mindfulness and presence helps with that. It helps to, to center myself in, in the moment and in the experience. And I remember Michelle, who runs Slama, um, she always used to say before performances, like, remember your why, <laughs> which I, it's something that I've internalized in all my performances. It's like, remember why you're there and like, what, you're, what you're there for and what you, the importance of your narrative, the importance of sharing your truth. And I feel like that backs you and that gives you a sense of comfort in knowing what it is you came to do. It's less easier to get, you know, distracted by the nerves. That's very good advice to, to focus on something sort of outside yourself in a way, like at that greater purpose, but sort of not sort of, you know, deeply within yourself at the same time, if that makes any sense. Yeah, completely. I was wondering, do you have performance tips for aspiring poets who want to get up there on the open mic? Hmm, definitely uh, to rehearse and to practice your piece. I feel like it, you can always tell when someone doesn't feel comfortable with their piece. And, and I feel like that also helps to calm that nerve. It's like I'm less nervous when I know the piece. And it's almost like just having a conversation with a friend or just like telling a story because I know the story so well. I know every part of it in and out. It's in my bones that it doesn't feel like an effort to share it. Like I'm not pulling teeth. <laughs> I'm just like letting it out because it's, it's already there and I know it so well. And I think breathing is so underrated <laughs> and so important just to learn how to manage the breath <laughs> and to kind of engage the diaphragm. And, you know, I guess it comes back to like, that intersection of like theater and all those like theatrical techniques of like vocal warming up and learning to project your voice and enunciate those all for me have been so helpful in just being a better performer but also just being more comfortable on stage because I know what I'm doing and I know how best to do it but I think the most important tip is just to keep doing it I feel like that's where that's where the beauty is there's always something else to learn there's always something else to experience and as long as you keep showing up for it it keeps giving new things to you like I'm I'm hardly an expert but I feel like because I keep coming back I keep learning new things and discovering new things not just about poetry not just about performance but about myself as well and I think that's for me, that's the beauty of performance. Like it always has something to give to me if only I'm brave enough to show up for it. Oh, I, I really like that. The 
art form that you're describing and you're turning you know the performance into an art I think in in the way you're talking about it but also I've seen you perform and the way that you perform it's all of those things you're talking about you know the mindfulness and the breath and your theatrics all coming together with your words you know in those spaces to create you know magical moments for audiences and and that connection you know and that and that collaboration all there and oh it's fantastic and I really just can't wait (laughs) until we can get out there and go to gigs again so you know I can see you on the open open mic or at a feature set sometime soon yeah I I cannot wait I'm dying (laughs) dying for it Oh, well, thank you so much for joining me again today, Tabani, and for sharing your experiences performing your poetry. It's been absolute delight to speak to you again. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> Could talk about this stuff for days. <laughs> I know, right? Like, maybe we'll just turn the mic off and then we'll just have like a three-week conversation and everyone else can just imagine, you know, what we could be talking about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to say a big thank you to the listeners for tuning in once more. And you can find Tabani on socials at tabani.tuma, where he posts his upcoming gigs for when we do get out of lockdown. And to find out more about Pocketry, the home of unheard voices, you can visit www.pocketry.com.au and happy writing.